You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm your host, once again, Just Jonda. Thank you for hanging with me as we continue this Just Jonda's Legal Breakdown series on the R. Kelly trial. This is part three, days six through eight. And just so you know where we're going with this, I expect for uh, episode uh, ep- Part four, which would be days uh, nine to 11 to be up by the weekend because I'm going to be working on this after we finish with this episode. So as I said last in last week's episode, the prosecution in this case has not, they haven't pulled any there's there's no cut cards here. They made sure that they go in, they go hard, they bring out all the big evidence early. Now, I expect that as this trial continues or as it winds down, ultimately, there's going to be some expert. There has to be. There's going to have to be a witness that the prosecution presents that talks more in depth about what, uh, uh, well, really talks more in depth as it relates to connecting the dots. Someone from their, um, from their racketeering unit, from their RICO unit, uh, that really talks more, and it'll probably be maybe an FBI agent who's going to talk more about how they feel these dots connect. Specifically, um, it, and really, really uh, specifically as it relates to the Man Act charges, which the prosecution is going to be uh, more into, and we're going to talk a lot more about in days nine, 10, and 11, because where we are now, we are still very much dealing with the racketeering charges when we're talking about some of the underage victims and some of the things that members of his staff, crew, road the roadies, whatever you want to call them, is management, the things that they did, which ultimately makes them a part of this enterprise. And as I continue, and I'm, I'm going to continue to reiterate tonight, what makes this case tricky, especially as it relates to this enterprise piece, is that a lot of the things that the prosecution is alleging that the enterprise had to do or that make that basically equate to them being an enterprise are things that individuals in this industry would need to do and the goals that are associated with um, with the things that they do, that's what people in this industry are supposed to do. So that is a, a piece of this that's very, uh, if you're the, the prosecution, it's something that you need to be concerned about the defense tearing apart because you don't have a situation like you do with the mob where these things are, or the alleged mafia, remember the first world mafia, there is no mafia, kind of like Fight Club. 
you don't have a situation like you do there when you are talking about the lieutenants and the other individuals going down the food chain that make up those criminal enterprises where pretty much everything they do is illegal on its on this face you have individuals who are contracted or whose job it is rather is to break legs uh, run numbers, sell drugs, um, uh, cart women around. What, do you, what are we talking about here? Like, you know, commit man act violations, transporting women for the purposes of prostitution or, or not just women, people for the purposes of prostitution and all the other things that are typically associated with any type of organized crime. In those instances, the things that those people do are criminal on their face. So they're easier to wrap your mind around. Whereas in this case, what the government's um, proof of this enterprise is, is that these individuals, management roadies, trainers, staff, and all manner of people around him with the various titles that they are given, that they essentially did their jobs, being his manager, being um, on tour, and all of these other things, being his bodyguard, that they did their job in order to build his brand, his profile, make him a star, in which case wouldn't his record company, uh, Sony, be in on that as well? That all of these people's goal was to make him a star so that his stardom would facilitate his, Ill his illegal acts and that those people uh, used the fact that they were positioned essentially uh, as part of R. Kelly's staff, who did have a legitimate job to do, that those people committed other acts, other criminal acts, like, for instance, the bribery as it related to Aaliyah's birth certificate, or assisting with keeping these young women, young girls, keeping them in this awful situation as uh, this alleged awful situation that they described of being locked in rooms, not being allowed to use the phone, not being allowed to eat, essentially putting them in a situation where they would be worn down, deprived of basic care, ultimately brainwashing them, uh, facilitating in videotapes and all of those things, all of the things that sadly, if you watch any documentary, especially some of those behind the music specials from the 80s, all of these things would, wouldn't they be the trappings of sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Hell, though, some of those things you would have people say is the reason they become famous in the first place, so that they could do all those things, so that they could get groupies and have all kinds of wild parties and every kind of sexual act that they could possibly think of. And if they didn't think of it, they watch some porn and come up with some more. So very um, interesting case to tiptoe around because however abhorrent some may believe uh, R. Kelly, Robert Kelly to be, and, you know, some of these acts, it, I, I don't think there's much, uh, I don't think there's much doubt about him doing them. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of these things are the trappings of the industry. And how do you prove that them doing exactly what anybody else would do for any other star was illegal, especially when other than maybe one instance of bribery and some allegations about not letting young ladies use the phone, does that mean that there was illegal activity uh, as it relates to an enterprise? Because some of these acts committed by R. Kelly, God, I've got to put in my obligatory lozenge, <coughs> excuse me, 
some of these acts that were allegedly committed by R. Kelly were arguably committed by R. Kelly alone. So let's get into days six, seven, and eight. Day six, R. Kelly's defense team continued uh, cross-examining his second accuser, and they were grilling this woman about letters where she defended R. Kelly and accused her parents of, quote, using her vagina to extract money from him and destroy his career. This is one of the young women who we suspect is, um, this is one of the women who we suspect was uh, one of the two ladies, and I believe I talked about this on day five, who testified at, uh, well, not who testified, but who appeared with Gail King and who was in all of these subsequent drama with the two young women moving out of Trump Tower. The parents were all over the news. It, it was a mess. So anyway, she's referred to as Jane, but we pretty much know who she is because her family came to court uh, along with several other bottom feeders who are a part of my profession that I won't even get into. R. Kelly's team introduced letters into evidence that that particular witness allegedly wrote to members of her family referring to herself as one of R. Kelly's girlfriends. Now, this is pretty interesting because that would say to me that there's a possibility that this witness and her family are at odds about whether she is truly a victim or an angry ex. And of course, we know that R. Kelly's defense team wants all of these individuals to be viewed as disgruntled fans groupies, people who wanted him to make them stars. And of course, because he couldn't do it or refused to do it, wasn't interested in doing it, what have you, that they came out after him in a different way. Now, it would be one thing if those letters were in Kelly's possession because they were written to him and he gave them to his defense team. However, these are letters that the witness allegedly wrote to her own family. Her family is not a party to this case and are no, under no obligation to turn over any personal communications that they had with her. So even if at some point during trial prep, either the prosecution or the defense asked the witness or her family members about whether they had communication with this young lady. And even if they responded affirmatively, affirmatively, yes, we did have communication with her during the period that she was with uh, Mr. Kelly, they were under no obligation to turn it over. But on the, I would say the caveat to all of this is that this communication may have been via email. Um, I suppose we could say I just aged myself thinking that those letters were actually written, right? I mean, let's face it, given that this young lady is in her early 20s and while, you know, and she was between the ages of 17 and 22 at the time, she probably didn't do what I do and whip out a piece of notebook paper on some or get some pretty stationery, put it on the stamp and mail it to him. So mail it to a relative. So I suspect if these letters are indeed real or this communication really did happen, it was probably email. In which case, you know, my theory about the woman and her family being at odds may not necessarily be an issue because if they were sent from a computer, a computer or phone owned by uh, Robert Kelly or pretty much anybody in that house, which he was more than likely paying for, then a dump of all the communications sent or received from those, those systems or anything saved on them would be revealed in the emails. Guys, I'm sorry. It sounds like I may have a bit of a lisp or something in my mouth. Just so you know, I have a lemon honey hauls in my mouth because I forgot to make myself a cup of tea before this. Um, going through some things with my throat, but that's not going to stop me from talking to you all. And by the way, this is a, a Just Jonda reminder for the day. 
and is a reminder basically for everybody. If you send it or post it electronically, it is like a bad check. It always returns. <laughs> so make sure that you keep that it make sure you keep that in mind because it's going it's going to happen and you guys give me a second because i am doing this recording live and so i just i forgot that i did not if you ever listen to people doing live recordings you know that we send it out to people who are on our list and i forgot to do that so i'm just doing that right now and i don't want to mess it up or spell anything wrong so <laughs> just had to take a pause so again communications that are sent via email or any other electronic means by your phone anything treat it like a bad check it always returns don't forget that okay because you're not going to get away with it especially if you expect to commit any crimes <laughs> and uh you know and, and there's the possibility that your stuff might be dumped okay so let's talk about these letters because they're it's it's pretty ugly so some of the letters and that's why i definitely think it's this one particular person again because of rape shield and the fact that i do have respect for that i'm not going to say her name most people uh if you follow this case even before the trial you know who she is but i'm not going to say it some of the letters accused their parents of attempting to profit off of her relationship with robert kelly specifically an allegation against that uh, against her own mother where she said in the letter um, that her mother, and, and, and basically this was this weird, um, it's, it's this weird round robin that was going on. And, and you'll see that as I get a little bit more into these letters because um, it does sound like there may have been some coaching by someone, but I just don't think this man is the mastermind that they uh, that some people think he is. I think that um, he is obviously some kind of idiot savant when it comes to music, but a criminal mastermind, I think it was more that the people around him knew his predilections. They knew what he liked. He made demands and they facilitated them and made sure that those things happened, which of course also supports this being a criminal enterprise, if those things were illegal or illegal acts had to be committed in order to facilitate his wants and, and uh, I dare I say, needs. At any rate, this young lady said uh, in a letter, an accusatory letter to her mother, that the mother claimed that R. Kelly, or that the mother said, R. Kelly should put $10,000 a month in their bank account since you're sleeping with their daughter and accused her father of trying to get money um, by doing interviews for a fee. Now, again, I've seen the parents, especially the father, and shady is an understatement for this guy. So the idea that this parent in particular sought fees for his interviews is more than a notion trust especially if you're thinking of the guy that i'm talking about there's also a letter to her brother accusing her parents of trying to use her to extort kelly through various means and essentially pimping her for their benefit um i will i will say this these parents have behaved absolutely distastefully um this and i'm not saying all of the parents because i think there are varying comments that people have have made before and will continue to make as it relates to these parents but um 
I think that no matter what you believe uh, about this young lady as it relates to her accusations about uh, about Mr. Kelly, and I definitely think that there is a great discussion to be had, maybe not in this episode because we've got other things to um, cover, but there is certainly a discussion to be had and I am sure it will happen um, via expert testimony put on by the prosecution in terms of some uh, psychological testimony. I don't see how the, uh, these cases can be done without it, particularly, particularly the Man Act charges when we talk about someone being forced to be in a situation where they're taken from place to place and they're an adult, unlike the cases involving uh, the young people. I think that there's going to be a lot to be said about the psychological effects of what happened and why these individuals did what they did and why they stayed and, and all of those things. Um, but that being said, and however you may feel about uh, the accusations and, and what I just said about maybe some of the psychological pieces that went into all of this, there's no doubt in my mind that this family, and again, we're talking about this one witness, that this family has made this situation far worse for their daughter with their antics. An important note here too is on redirect by the prosecution, the witness claimed, and I, I think I alluded to this already, that Kelly made her write those letters to her family. I'm not really sure I believe that. I uh, Kelly may be a bully, manipulative, and quite a few other things that are too explicit for a PG-rated podcast. But other than him being, as I said earlier, some type of idiot savant as it relates to music, there's nothing about him that reads... Um, it, it, there's just nothing about him that... Uh, that reads a mastermind capable of this level of minutia, especially when upon further questioning, she cited the reason after a leading question by the prosecution as him avoiding criminal liability in a trial like this. R. Kelly never believed that he was going to be tried for anything. And when he was, he walked. So certainly after behaving this way for so many years with no consequence and the one time when he is brought to court where there is literally a video where he all but said hello my name is r kelly and watch me pee on this underage girl and he walked this is not somebody who got so involved in the minutiae of um preventative action that they had her write letters, that they had the young lady write letters to her family, which really don't necessarily exonerate him in terms of what he's accused of doing. All the letters do is potentially show her family to be a bunch of jerks. Well, I mean, hell, I knew that. Who didn't know that? So, Let's face it, Kelly seems to have some sociopathic tendencies, in, in my opinion, certainly deviant ones. And between his fame, money, the network around him with a vested interest in keeping him free and working, and the fact that he was living proof already that he could get away with virtually anything, again, he never believed he was going to have to answer for his, for his behavior, and he operated uh, accordingly. So the notion that he had the forethought to have her to do this... Mm, it, it just seems to be at odds with his loud, proud, and unapologetic way uh, that he conducted himself in plain sight. I think this is a situation where the prosecution did too much to attempt to undo damage that was never done. And that is not good. It's, it's, it actually, it can be annoying to a jury and it also can turn them against you and you can have good evidence that then starts to look a little funky. Those letters were not damaging. If there's anybody who was damaged by them, it would be the family. So you're spending a lot of time trying to, spending a lot of time, time trying to unspin 
a wheel that was never spun uh, against you. Okay, and, and I'll just use this as, a, as an example. Let's say this young lady wrote those letters to her family of her own accord without prompting from R. Kelly. How does that hurt anything? Doesn't change the fact that she was under the physical, emotional, and psychological control of Kelly. If anything, the accusations demonstrate her full dedication and devotion to him. And if we're going to say that cult leader-like tactics were employed to get and keep these young ladies under his control, then we don't need, it. Then, then actually her writing the letters of her own accord support that. Uh, welcome, Dre. Her parents behave like assholes in the press. There's no reason to defend that. We saw it doesn't change the assertion that she was in an ongoing abusive relationship with Kelly since she was 17 and that if her testimony and the testimony of others is to be believed, that abuse included mental abuse, physical abuse, deprivation of liberty, food, and even the unfettered use of her bodily functions. Her parents being assholes just made his job easier. There was also a friend of hers that was put on the stand that pretty much corroborated the fact that they met. By the way, R. Kelly had this, Robert Kelly, had this way, uh, had this tremendous interest in McDonald's. Remember when he got out of jail and went to McDonald's? Well, apparently, not only did he like to eat McDonald's, but he liked to pick up women and boys, and we're going to talk about that, at McDonald's. So on day seven we get into a third accuser. This third accuser was named Stephanie. And again, she's another Jane Doe. She described uh, Kelly as, uh, he, and he described himself as a genius uh, who could do whatever he wants. Now she's 39 now. She said that she met Kelly in 1998. And again, this is one of those situations because people are going to be like she's 39 she met him in uh 1998 why are we talking about this again because right now the prosecution at the at this point is not focusing on the man act cases at uh at this point on day seven they are focusing on the racketeering case and for the racketeering case they need to show instances where the criminal enterprise was at work so this is yet another one of those, was it 13 or 14 instances I talked to you all about um, initially? Well, this is one of those instances of criminal behavior that underscores and supports the notion that everything related to R. Kelly, his people, his activities, it all amounted to the active uh, running and participation in a criminal enterprise. So anyway, she said she was 17 most of the time and uh, she was past his number at a rock and roll McDonald's. Again, he loved McDonald's and to meet women there. She said he had two sides, sweet and caring, but he could flip switch to angry and scary quickly. That is not surprising. That is the hallmark of most abusers. She said he... he excuse me, he, she said, quote, he humiliated me, a lot of alliteration here, <laughs> he degraded me and he scared me. A year later, and, um, and, and of course this, she talks about the fact that this is what happened during the course of their relationship. So let me jump back, I apologize, I jumped around in my notes. She met him when she was act in 1988, 1998 when she was 16. A year later when she was 17, that is when she actually began to act uh, to meet with him on a regular basis and even spend substantial periods of time staying at his house. So like some of the other young women, these were relationships where they stayed in touch in some form or fashion. And it makes sense because again, 
we are talking about someone who was extremely popular and on the road. And we're not talking about R. Kelly in, say, the last five to seven years of his career. Not that he wasn't putting out music, but, you know, you didn't see him traveling as much. But when we're talking about pretty much anything in the 90s and early 2000s as it relates to R. Kelly and certainly in nineteen in, in the 1998-99 time frame, he would have been traveling and he would have been uh, traveling and touring and he would have been doing that quite a bit. So it makes sense when you often hear testimony um, from these various witnesses that they met him and it may not have been an immediate situation where they moved in with him. So it was, it was kind of like he and his team, if these people are to be, are to be believed, you know, they had a collection of folks. He would see someone, he would think they were attractive, make some kind of contact. And then I guess they were in his, uh, I'll get to that youngster later Rolodex. So she said that about a year later, she met him at the Nike store. And this would be when she was 17. He invited her to his studio alone. Once inside, she was sent to a bedroom at his studio. And that's something that multiple witnesses have said. And he came in there to her about an hour later. So that's another thing he would do. He would make them wait. He put them. And and again, I'm saying all of this is alleged because this is what the witnesses are testifying to. And he would come about an hour later uh, or however long he had them waiting. They had sex and they had a an alleged six-month relationship. This young woman also testified that she did have some prior sexual trauma. So sadly, he hit the jackpot with this young woman, because if you're dealing with someone with prior sexual trauma, she's an older man. And again, these bizarre tactics are being used on her that uh, certainly with someone like him with this type of power dynamic, I don't have to... um, be it well i do do this for a living but uh i don't have to march in a parade of experts here to tell you that that made her more susceptible to um being um being taken in by this uh as i uh, by this power dynamic and someone who did these types of things to her one of the things that she said is um she had a meal with him and two rappers. And she said that uh, there were young girls around. He said, uh, and they talked about the fact that he liked young girls and he didn't care if people had a problem with it. But it was, it. she said, it was just no big deal. And the other rappers, they didn't think it was a big deal either. And so at that point, Uh, She couldn't say anything. She said she wasn't allowed to speak and she was afraid to speak. And yes, these women have testified to the fact that there were instances where he would have them sleep with other people. And one of the other things that he did was record sex. And and part of that was for um, to scare them into staying with him and potential threats. Okay, now I've got something on you. Hi, Boney. Thank you for coming into the room. She also said that he would put her in certain positions for hours and leave her there just to torture her. Now, the defense did try to bring up the fact that the age of consent in Illinois is 17. However, that only applies if the parties are no more than five years apart. So she's 17. She could consent to sex if the person she was dealing with was between 18 and 22. R. Kelly at that time was 32. So it's not exactly working out bringing up that piece at all. So, and and again, as I said before, remember the the racketeering charge allows the prosecution to go far beyond uh, what, uh, what these charges 
would have been um, and what these allegations would typically be used for, because we're talking about the an ongoing criminal enterprise. So the more examples of illegal activity they can put into play over time, the closer they are to making their case. Now we're on day eight. Day eight is something that will live in infamy, I think, it, for a lot of folks, because that is when the, the first time the prosecution introduces evidence that had never been discussed other than maybe whispered and rumored, but and, and of, they, he wasn't charged initially in any of the other cases in Cook County or in Minneapolis as it relates to this. And that is males coming into play. So needless to say, the defense was in an uproar. And um, I've, I've got some stuff to say about why they may have kind of cut off their nose to spite their face with being so focused on... Um, on the fact that there was a male involved. And we know why part of that is, is because R. Kelly for many communities, including the African-American community, and we've already seen it based on the fact that he's been allowed to R. Kelly for the past 30 years, um, even after the world knew what happened with him and Aaliyah in 1994 and subsequent activities like the video, which was what, 98, 99. So he's been pretty bulletproof because his victims have largely been young ladies and young ladies who were black. But now he is, has allegedly done the unforgivable in a community, particularly uh, one that embraces him so, the R&B and rap community, that is still filled with rampant homophobia. And, and quite frankly, it's beyond homophobia, toxic masculinity. There is a male witness, a male who's been described as Lewis, and Lewis is not one of the five Jane Doe's, so just described as Lewis. He says that he was 17 years old, when he also met R. Kelly, where a McDonald's drive-thru. He thought, like most of these people, it's gonna come up again and again. He thought that R. Kelly could help him with his rap career. And he says that he remembers that he was absolutely 17 years old because he was a senior in high school. And he said that R. Kelly invited Lewis to his uh, he invited Lewis to his home and uh you know is one in Chicago area and this is around 2007 and he said that he invited to invited him to his home with offers of helping him with career, with his career which appeared to be false he said that when he got there R. Kelly asked him what he was doing with uh, what he was willing to do for music Loaded question, right? Well, I guess he wanted more than uh, what would you do for a Klondike bar? The young man said that he told R. Kelly, look, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to cook and clean, you know, just things that anybody would be willing to do. I'll carry your bags. I'll clean your bus. I'll whatever you, you tell me. And he said that R. Kelly said, no, that's not it and went on to ask him if he ever fantasized about having sex with men. The young man said that he told him no, and he said that R. Kelly then proceeded to perform oral sex on him. He said that he kept seeing R. Kelly because he really wanted to make it in the music industry. Now I'll pause here because people are like, oh, he's a dude, how could he do that? This is no different than many of the women in Hollywood. This is this is basically, uh, these allegations is what? R. Kelly's casting couch. Now, we do want to note that this young man is also testifying under a cooperative agreement with the prosecution because, and, and of course the defense couldn't wait to point that out and say that his testimony is suspect uh, due to that cooperative agreement, 
And the cooperative agreement is because he is one of several people who was charged with attempting to bribe another potential witness, because that's another element of uh, of cases that have been going on um, adjacent to this one, which is that several of his associates and this young man, Lewis, is one of them, are being charged with bribery in connection with, or witness tampering actually, in connection with attempting to bribe in in the case of another associate even threatened with bodily harm, uh, these witnesses. That's yet another reason why the jury is partially sequestered. And he's already pled guilty to it and he's pending sentencing. So now again, this is where the defense was in a situation where, um, you know, similar to earlier when I said the prosecution probably pushed too much in, uh, in attempting to undo damage that wasn't done. In this case, when the prosecution put this, in, in, in this situation with Lewis, when the prosecution put him on the stand, there's no doubt that in order to take the wind out of the defense's sails, they asked him about the cooperative agreement and made sure that the jury already knew that he was being charged with something. There was uh, at least negotiations and discussions that were going on with him so that, again, the wind would be taken out of the defense's sails and saying, oh, well, he's just testifying because there's a deal in place. If that's already a bell that has been rung and you can't uh, and you can't unring it, and that may have colored some of the jury's perception of this young man as it relates to um, as as it relates to his credibility, you don't have to keep pressing it because when you press it, and in this situation, when you press it, this is a sword that cuts both ways. Why? Because the more the defense tries to keep him cornered on the fact that you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy because, you know, this, that, and the third, the more the defense continues to press him on that issue, it underscores for the jury what that there was more illegal activity going on connected with who the defendant sitting there. Now, Lewis did testify that, and and I think it's important for us to note, Lewis absolutely did testify that Kelly did not put him up to what he attempted to do with this witness. But who's really going to believe that? I don't care if he testified on five more stacks of Bibles uh, with threats of pulling his toenails out. You're going to be hard pressed to get pretty much anybody to believe. And, and Lord knows with in practicing criminal law for over 20 years, I have seen people do really dumb things for far less than wanting to stay in the good graces of a a rich person who they still believe is powerful enough and carries enough sway in the industry or, uh, or even that they're afraid has things on them like videotapes having uh, homosexual sex that they would, uh, you know, that I've seen people do things for far less. That being said, I don't care whether or not we can come up with 50 different reasons, some of which I just named why this young man of his own accord would try to help R. Kelly and then maybe once the trial is over say, see man, see what I did for you? Don't ever release the video of you, you know. Nobody's going to believe that he did this of his own accord. And because of that, pressing him on it only 
takes that sword away from his chest and points it squarely back at your client who is being considered or who the prosecution considers to be the mastermind of a vast criminal enterprise, or at least the head, I don't know about calling them the mastermind, the head of a criminal enterprise geared towards what? Doing whatever it has to do to keep him in the spotlight and to continue to make sure that he has access so that he could fulfill whatever little freaky illegal fantasy he does, even he has, even if we have to do illegal things to help him do that. And what would bribery be? Well, an example of that. And this is not even the case involving Aaliyah. This is allegedly something that occurred after he was charged. And who would it have benefited? R. Kelly. So, you know, Interesting. Another woman test testified that day. Her name is, uh, she was identified as Addie. She said she and a friend were given backstage passes in 94. Um, I have 84 here, so I think it was 94, 2004. But at any rate, doesn't really matter which year it was because that's not what we're concerned about. What we're concerned about is what she is, is her age and what else she said happened. This is probably it. Well, not probably. This is the first witness who testified that their initial sexual encounter with him was a, an, an assault. And I don't mean an assault because of the underage part, but an assault in the traditional sense, as in she said that he grabbed her by her wrist, held her down, pulled her pants down, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning, and raped her. So um, this is one of those, uh, this is the first of, of, witnesses to come that has said that things had crossed that, that things had gone to that degree there are also instances that lewis testified to where uh robert kelly tried to get him to have sexual relations with another male and also a really bizarre story that he tells about a young lady who apparently was under some kind of boxing ring he didn't know at the time, but he and Kelly were standing in the ring. He said that Kelly snapped his fingers or clapped his hands a couple of times. And this woman comes out from under the ring, like some kind of bizarre sexual jack in a box and uh, comes on onto the ring. And again, he, proceeds to direct them in sexual activity. And as with all of these people consistently that he was recording um, the sexual activity as well. So most of day eight pretty much covered uh, the testimony of Lewis to cross-examination and some of the testimony of Addie. Needless to say that because of uh, the explosive nature of, of Lewis's testimony. And, and, and I say explosive, not because he said anything that was earth shattering, but it was explosive for the public because uh, we were no longer dealing in um, these whispered, oh, I heard that there's guys involved in this situation as well. It's not just his gaggle of women, but Finally, there was someone who actually put voice to it, and I would say a name with, you know, a, a face to it, to the story. But of course, we don't see their faces, but there, it, there was actually a male that testified. And of course, that just reverberated everywhere. I mean, everything else that happened, particularly Addie's testimony, which talked about an actual violent physical assault, was kind of it 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 didn't hold any weight because as horrible as that was uh the sex with a male which again says something about 
you know, society as a whole is what was considered to be the most, uh, the, the thing that was the biggest bombshell that day. And, and we know why he starred Kelly and he's R and B and rap and that whole thing. So at any rate, so that's where we are. So our next episode will cover nine, uh, days, nine, 10 and 11. And again, we also have other episodes coming up on some of the uh, some of the other items that I mentioned on last episode. So please stay tuned. Thank you, as always, for giving your time. Thank you for bearing with me, despite the fact that I'm dealing with some throat issues. So it I have to put something in my mouth, which, of course, then contributes to me getting a little tongue tied <laughs> when I am doing these podcasts. But we're going to get it together. And I just appreciate you all hanging with your girl here. So as as, as I do every time, I am going to ask you all to go on to iTunes if you uh, if you have an iTunes account listen to us there give us five stars and um, and a review it builds up the iTunes profile for those who came in the room live thank you very much I also am going to cite my sources although they will also be in the info box but it's important to know where I'm going just in case you want to check it out too my main ones my main peeps that I love New York Times Times, USA Today, The Guardian, The Wall Street Journal, Court TV. Um, it, did I mention The Guardian? Because I freaking love them. And then uh, WPIX in New York uh, had some good coverage uh, as well. Because again, since there was a male testifying, everybody rushed to get it on the air. I am available on everywhere that uh, you listen to podcasts. So Google, Spotify, Acast, uh, Amazon. Uh, what is What else? iTunes, of course, here on Podbean, uh, iHeartRadio. I am wherever uh, you want to find me. You put in Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda and it's going to bring up all our episodes, including the Just Jonda, uh, the Just Jonda LBDs. Also, um, don't forget to follow me on social media. You will find me at Twitter and Instagram at Let's Be Honest JJ. That's L-E-T-S-B-E-H-O-N-E-S-T-J-J. And you can follow in the Daily Fun as we talk about all kinds of stuff um, on the Fashion and Drama Diaries on Facebook. You will also see the link in the information box. And as always, if you are thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and I want to talk about it too. I've even got an email address. If you don't want to DM me to follow up on as well, that's in the info box. So let's be honest together. Thank you so much for hanging with us. And good night.